the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we're going to take a look at the day's headlines and in the second half of this hour... I'll be joined by James Blend, and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. In the second hour, we'll share this week's Christian Outlook. Has some pretty interesting conversation. Kevin McCullough talks with Monica Crowley. She's a former United States Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs. Uh, Ilan Berman of the American Foreign Policy Council and Patty Jane Geller of the Heritage Foundation. They're going to talk about skyrocketing energy costs and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. John and Kathy from The Ride Home talk with Alexander uh, with Alex Oleksandr, a Ukrainian Christian, about his hometown being destroyed, the bravery of Ukrainian citizens in defending their homeland. And finally, we hear from Scott Furrow and Philip DeCourcy. They're from the program Know the Truth. They're going to talk about making sense of how the gospel relates to the brutality of the war in Ukraine. And, of course, the war in Ukraine isn't the only conflict that's taking place around the globe. It's just the latest example. We will have war with us always, but the day is coming. We're reminded in Scripture when we will study and engage in war no more. I pray for that day. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, it was a year ago today, March 11th, 2020. A year into the coronavirus pandemic, the enormous changes in our lives have become unremarkable. The collection of fabric masks, visits with friends or family only in small outdoor uh, gatherings or online, working or learning from home, Um, downtowns deserted at noon on a weekday. And while some changes happened gradually, there was one day that marked the beginning of the new normal. On that day in the United States, the pandemic future arrived all at once. It was March 11th. It was a Wednesday. Joe Biden had won primaries the night before in Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, and Missouri, putting him on a path toward clinching the Democratic nomination. Bernie Sanders said that he was staying in the race despite his disappointing results. The big news in the morning and what was uh, expected to be the top headline of the day was the sentencing of movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. Sitting in a Manhattan courtroom, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison for rape and sexual assault. Well, two days earlier, stocks had tumbled in reaction to Saudi Arabia cutting the price of oil, spurring the market's worst drop since 2008. And the coronavirus, which had already sparked lockdowns in China and Italy, had become a major concern right here at home. The first case in the U.S. was announced on the 21st of January in Everett, Washington. By the 30th, the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency. Some schools here had already closed, affecting about 850,000 students, and some Americans were trying to figure out whether to cancel the expensive cruises they had booked. Days earlier, the State Department had put out a warning against such travel following outbreaks on several ships. The CDC had issued guidance on getting tested for the virus, but it was hard to figure out where such tests might be available. And there were, as uh, there continues to be, instances of racism and xenophobia targeting Asian Americans as fears of the virus spread throughout the United States. It was essentially par for the course. It was 
2020, the 11th day of this uh, this month. Dr. Fauci testified saying it's going to get worse. He was the director and still is of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they'd been called on to testify about the coronavirus on March 11th before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Observers in that chamber, they sat shoulder to shoulder. They were not wearing a mask. None was seen in sight. Is it the worst yet to come? Dr. Fauci, uh, that was a question asked by uh, Representative Carolyn Maloney, the uh, committee chairwoman. Yes, it is, Fauci replied. He explained that the U.S. was seeing more cases from both community spread and international travel. I can say we will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now, Fauci said at the time. How much worse we'll get to, uh, we'll get rather, will depend on our ability to do two things, to contain the influx of people who are infected coming from the outside and the ability to contain the and mitigate within our own country. Well, the virus had by then infected more than 1,000 people in 40 states. At least 31 people in the U.S. had died from COVID-19, most of them in the state of Washington. Bottom line, Fauci said at the time, it's going to get worse. Well, in Geneva, the World Health Organization was holding a briefing. Eight countries, including the U.S., now had more than 1,000 cases. In the past two weeks, the number of cases of COVID-19 outside China has increased 13-fold, and the number of affected countries has tripled. That's what the WHO director, General Tedros, well, I won't attempt to mispronounce his name. Uh, The World Health Organization has been assessing this outbreak around the clock, and we're deeply concerned both by the alarming level of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. We have, therefore, made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Well, the global health emergency was now officially a pandemic, the first one to be uh, caused by a coronavirus. The stock market reacted quickly to the new designation. The Dow Jones Jones Industrial Average average rather dropped more than 1,200 points. And by the end of the day, the Dow was down more than 20 percent from its peak in February and had entered bear market territory. An 11-year bull market had come to an end. Well, in primetime Oval Office address, President Trump banned travel from Europe. At 3.18 p.m., with the pandemic now official and stocks cratering, the president sent out a tweet. I am fully prepared to use the full power of the federal government to deal with our current challenge of the coronavirus. He said he would address the nation from the Oval Office that evening. He did at 9.02. President Trump began his remarks. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. He went on to say, I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. Then he made a stunning announcement, a 30-day ban on travel from Europe countries, European countries, to the U.S. beginning Friday at midnight, just two days later, to keep new cases from entering our shores. Well, the the White House um, archived uh, YouTube, experts were skeptical the ban would make much of a difference. It may have political value, but it has zero public health value. That's what a global health law professor at Georgetown University predicted. Most of Europe has the uh, same or fewer cases than the U.S. Uh, restricting travel certainly won't make Americans safer. Well, confusion followed the speech about who and what would be affected by the ban. President Trump tweeted a clarification. Trade will, uh, no, uh, will in no way be affected by the 30-day restriction on travel from Europe. The restriction stops people, not goods. Well, so much more happened since that time. 
the uh, World Health Organization had made its pronouncement. Dr. Fauci made his, and the world had no idea what would uh, follow those ominous announcements. It was, it all started, I should say, on March the 11th, the year 2020. Well, as you know, tomorrow... March the 12th, Oregon and Washington are lifting their mask mandates for most indoor public spaces and schools. But in accordance with federal requirements, masks still have to be worn in some settings, including public transit and healthcare facilities. Well, under both states' latest guidance, businesses, individual school districts, and local governments, as well as public health authorities, can decide whether to extend their mask requirements. Okay. Public transportation. Uh, The Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, announced it will extend its mask mandate for public transit through the 18th of April. That means people will need to wear masks on planes, buses, trains, and in transit hubs. The mandate was originally set to expire on the 18th of this month, but was extended by a month to allow the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to develop a revised framework. The Oregon Health Authority and Washington State Department of Health will withhold, rather uphold, mask requirements for health care settings, including hospitals, doctor's offices, dentist's offices, urgent care, dialysis centers. You must wear masks in those settings. The Oregon Department of Education and the... Uh, Department of Health will not require masks in K-12 through schools, colleges, and universities past the 12th, but individual school districts can choose to mandate them. So you may be subject, but not by the Oregon Department of Education or Department of Health. Um, both the ODE and the DOH have said students, teachers, and staff who test positive for COVID-19 should isolate for five days, then wear a mask around others at home and in public for an additional five days at the end of isolation. Several colleges and universities, that includes Oregon State University and Portland State University, have released updated guidelines and will require masks in student health care centers, child care settings, and public transportation. Well, as for uh, businesses like restaurants, gyms, grocery stores, and other private businesses in Oregon and Washington, they can continue to require the masks after the statewide mandates lift. So you'll need to find out what the requirements are by the business, and they will be calling the shots for their own facilities but are not required by state mandate. So there you have it. Everything changed. Well, lots of things change tomorrow when we are no longer required by the states of Oregon and Washington to don a mask I'm just trying to decide if I want to hoot and holler or reserve that for later. I think I'll reserve that for later. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the day's headlines. We'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news in the second half of this hour with James Blend. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen appeared to contradict the White House in an interview after saying she expects another year of uncomfortable high inflation. And congressional Democrats aren't on the same page about whether voters will punish them for soaring gas prices in the midterm elections. And as Russian troops massed on the Ukraine border weeks before the invasion, Western intelligence officials were concerned that Kyiv would fall in days. Instead, they underestimated Ukrainians. They were wrong on Kyiv's fall. However, it is expected that it could fall in the next few days. A Chicago woman who spent more than a week helping displaced Ukrainians in Poland plans to return there again soon to serve. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis slammed the Walt Disney Company as woke after the company came out against a GOP-led parental rights bill. And South Dakotans said after the 
Keystone XL pipeline cancellation. President Biden has been absolutely worthless and has done nothing for us, end quote. In a special counsel win, the federal judge presiding over the case of former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, he's refused to uh, strike the factual background. And the U.S. Senate passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill that will fund the federal government through September 30th and send $13.6 billion in aid to Ukraine. Insisting they disclose their ties, House Energy and Commerce Committee Republicans are asking environmental groups to disclose their ties to a non-governmental organization reportedly used by Vladimir Putin to make an impact on American energy production. And Russia and China are doubling down on claims that the U.S. is conducting biological weapons research in biolabs across war-torn Ukraine. Danny Dannon points out that... um, Report uh, Reports have recently emerged that a new nuclear deal with Iran, the world's largest sponsor of terror, will be concluded within days. That's something to pray about, that the plans would fail. Michael Ryan asks, did you ever wonder why, uh, uh, why are we imposing a maximum pressure campaign on Russia while negotiating to lift one off Iran? Huh. Seth Moulton suggests that as Russia enters week three of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, many are already calling this the second Cold War. Stephen Moore reminds that the Labor Department announced Thursday uh, to no one's surprise that over the past 12 months, consumer prices have risen 7.9 percent. And that, by the way, is the good news. Demonstrating a proud heritage, Ukrainians are so ready to fight back against the invading Russian army. Some of them are being turned away because uh, there aren't enough munitions. In an example of Disney shareholder outrage, the Walt Disney Corporation was confronted at a shareholders meeting by an activist uh, shareholder accusing it of complicity in China genocide. And Jussie Smollett has been sentenced. He was sentenced to 150 days in jail along with probation and fined following a contentious four hours in the Chicago courtroom. Well, we've learned that President Biden personally killed the Polish jet deal. Despite desperate pleas from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and pressure from lawmakers at home, President Biden killed the Polish plan to transfer MiG-29 jets to Ukraine, fearing the deal might be viewed as an escalation of tensions by Vladimir Putin. We apparently blinked. The Wall Street Journal editorial board writes, The bigger problem is the message this fiasco sends to Mr. Putin about NATO. The essence of credible deterrence is making an adversary believe that uh, taking certain actions will draw a response by so ostensibly not sending the fighters and saying the reason is fear of escalation. Mr. Biden is telling the Russians that he doesn't uh, have to worry about that. Instead of deterring Mr. Putin, Mr. Biden is letting the Russians deter the U.S. A Maryland bill would allow a mother to have her newborn killed in the first month. A Democrat state senator, William Smith, calls it the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act of 2022. Always be skeptical skeptical about the names that are given to certain pieces of legislation. Read the fine print. The Pregnant Persons Freedom Act of 2022. And they even have the nerve to call this an abortion, which tells you the pro-choice crowd knows what an abortion really is. This is one month after birth, up to one month after birth. President Biden's new Iran deal is in jeopardy as Russia smells an opportunity. The story notes Russia is requesting that any return to the agreement include guarantees that any future Russian business with Iran be exempt from EU and U.S. sanctions, a late curveball from Moscow in response to the crippling penalties the country's facing over its invasion of Ukraine. 
USA Today once again fact checks the Babylon Bee. The paper informs us Biden is not selling Alaska back to Russia so we can start drilling for oil there again. Satire. Look it up, USA Today. The White House refuses to answer the question, does Biden own an electric car? He's been pushing them for years. You should be buying one, $60,000 for a vehicle. Maryland will likely become the second state to ban declawing cats. Waiting for the governor's signature, not noted in the story. How many people will put their cat down to save their furniture? Washington rather, has given itself a spending splurge. On Thursday, the Senate passed their omnibus spending bill that effectively works to insulate Washington from the spiking inflation rate hitting the rest of America hard. The House passed the bill on Wednesday. Some $13.6 billion of the money will be sent to aid Ukraine in response to the invasion, a worthy cause. So, too, is the $782 billion allocated for national defense. However, $730 billion has been slated for government discretionary spending. Hmm. representing a 6.7% increase over last year. Health and Human Services gets 11.6% increase. The Internal Revenue Service receives an additional $675 million. That equates to a 5.6% boost over last year. And the Department of Transportation gets an additional $3.1 billion, much of which will be used to fuel the Democrats' climate agenda. Well, Team Biden keeps sky-high masking political theater on autopilot. Anyone hoping to see an end to the politically motivated masking theater in the sky will have to wait. Dems plan to help Americans by taxing oil companies. I can't quite figure out the math, how that helps Americans. But with gas prices spiking and inflation hitting a 40-year high and continuing to rise, Democrats have come up with a solution to help Americans struggling with rising costs. Cut them a quarterly check by raising a 50% tax on oil companies' profits. The plan, sponsored by um, socialist lawmakers like Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, effectively is a proposal to rob Peter to pay Paul. How much a plan would actually lower costs and help Americans is the stuff of socialism's fantasy math. Well, uh, uh, Russian strikes hit western Ukraine as the offensive widens. Facebook and Instagram will allow calls for violence as long as they're against Russians or maybe the unborn. North Korean missile launches were a serious escalation, according to a U.S. official. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says Americans will likely see another year of very uncomfortable high inflation. The U.S. Census undercounted blacks and Hispanics in 2020. And the special counsel's office is investigating the 2016 DNC server hack. The RNC filed a lawsuit against Speaker Pelosi and the January 6th committee. And the Major League Baseball lockout ends as MLBPA owners reach a CBA agreement. You baseball people will know what that means. uh, NASA gives employees the option to choose their preferred pronoun in email communications. So very woke. On this day in history, 1513, Giovanni de' Medici is proclaimed Pope, succeeding Julius II. He takes the name Leo X. 1918, on this day in history, the first apparent confirmed uh, confirmed U.S. cases of a deadly global flu pandemic are reported among U.S. Army uh, soldiers stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas. The worldwide outbreak of influenza would kill an estimated 20 million to 40 million people. 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt signs the Lend-Lease Bill, which would provide war supplies to countries fighting the Axis powers in World War II. 
1977, more than 130 hostages held in Washington, D.C. by Hanafi Muslims are freed about uh, after, rather, ambassadors from three Islamic nations joined the negotiations. 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev is chosen to succeed the late Konstantin uh, Chernyenko as General Secretary of the Soviet Communist Party. 1993, Janet Reno is unanimously confirmed by the Senate to be the U.S. Attorney General. 2011, a magnitude 9.0 earthquake and resulting tsunami strike Japan's northeastern coast, killing nearly 20,000 people and severely damaging the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station. 2019, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is quoted in the Washington Post as saying she is not in favor of peaching President Bush, or excuse me, President Trump, because it would be too divisive, adding he's just not worth it. Trump, by the way, would be impeached nine months later on December 18th, 2019. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, the Trump administration proposes a $7.1 billion funding cut to the Department of Education. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we're going to uh, take a look at the lighter side of the news. James Blend will join me here in studio. And in the second hour, The Christian Outlook. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. And as, as has become the... Uh, the Habit, James Blinn, joins me to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Yo, James. What's going on? Well, we got this show thing going. Oh, I was going to go home. Yeah, you got to wait a little while. All right. Well, the lighter side of the news. You know, we've got this invasion in Ukraine, and some people confuse Vladimir Putin with, well, other things. Um, there's a, a lot of different ways to protest. One of them is to remove a menu item. That is um, misunderstood. In fact, a diner in Quebec decided to show support for Ukraine in a truly unique way. While it hasn't changed the items offered on its menu, it has decided to change the name of the popular Canadian dish. You guessed it, poutine. I love poutine. It's a very popular Canadian dish. It includes French fries, cheese curds, and gravy. Mm-hmm. That sounds so utterly off to me, but it's probably good. It's very good. Yeah. Also, the word poutine sounds very much like Putin. Yeah. I see. Uh, okay. When said out loud. Well, the connection prompted the apparent inventor of the dish to take action. Leroy Jusep, located in uh, Drummondville, Quebec, decides to show his solidarity with Ukraine by taking the word poutine out of its trademark. The diner claims to have invented the dish and is considered a somewhat famous restaurant among Canadians. Well, the diner posted its decision on um, Facebook. This was last Friday, but it since removed the post due to receiving hateful replies and phone calls, according to Montreal CTV News. Well, the business's Facebook page still lists it as the lists it as the inventor of poutine, although the name has uh, been changed to say the inventor of fries, cheese and gravy. You have to spell the whole thing out. Well, when the story made headlines, however, the restaurant posted a follow up saying very touching Uh, to learn that our tiny message of support has been sent to Drummondville all the way to Ukraine. If we could make someone smile there, that's already a win. We are with you from the bottom of our hearts. Well, poutine first started being served in the 1950s. It's a popular dish there, and some northern U.S. states uh, also carry it, although there are some regional variations. James apparently loves the dish. For example, in New Jersey, a similar dish is served, which is known as disco fries, it's essentially the same thing, except it uses melted cheese instead of cheese curds. 
Oh, that does sound good too. I have to admit. Yeah, it's kind of a rule that uh, whenever I go to Canada, I, I I get some poutine. Although I wouldn't change the name necessarily, but I'd be okay. I'd be comfortable calling it Poutine. <laughs> Just mispronouncing it. Well, a French restaurant claims that it was threatened by patrons who thought the poutine was named after Vladimir Putin. Um, they reported receiving threats over its uh, signature dish uh, because some people have been incorrectly associating the dish with the Russian president. Uh, the restaurant, which is located in Paris and Toulouse, posted a statement on social media last week saying that it's received calls and insults, even threats over its name, according to the translation. The name may sound similar to the Russian word, the Russian name, uh, Putin. Putin, however, has no actual connection with uh, Putin or Russia at all. Poutine, originated, as we mentioned, in Canada, is made of French fries, cheese, curds, and gravy. In a statement, the restaurant said it's not linked to the Russian regime and its leader. Our dish was born in Quebec in the 50s, and the stories um, to tell its uh, origin are numerous. But one thing is certain. The poutine was created by passionate cooks who wanted to bring joy and comfort to their customers. So pretty big deal. We, ironic if you think about it that the French got involved in all of this somehow because uh, – you have, of course, the controversy from a number of years ago after 9-11 with Freedom Fries. That's right. And, well, what's in these? Freedom Fries. <laughs> <laughs> now, cheese curd, that's not – is it more like um, mozzarella kind of squeaky or is it more like a cheese that we'd be familiar with? What's a cheese curd? Um, I believe in this case a lot of times it's a white, ch- it's a, it's a white cheddar. Oh, it is. Uh, which is pretty much the only kind of cheddar I like, but I've seen it made with mozzarella as well. Huh. Well, there you go. I'll probably never taste it, but I'll take your word for that. It, you know, if somebody, if you're in Canada and someone has is willing to share a bite, I highly recommend taking one. So go for it. Well, if you're looking for a last-minute gift, the French fry lover in your life may go head over heels over this suggestion. There is a new perfume, perfume rather, or perhaps perfume, doesn't sound like Putin says so we're probably okay with perfume. Perfume, if I say it correctly. Um, it's out of Idaho, and it's produced by the Idaho Potato Commission. Shocking. Yes, you heard it right. It purports to give off the aroma of French fries in all their greasy, salty splendor. Whether you're at a drive through restaurant or dining in, it's near impossible to not grab a fry and take a bite before you dive into your meal. That's what the CEO of the Idaho Potato Commission said. Dubbed Freets by Idaho, uh, the limited edition fragrance was going for $1.89 a bottle. It's a 1.7-ounce bottle on the commission's website uh, before they sold out. Do you really want to smell like French fries? I mean, is for, the oil for, I say, for changed? For $0.99, cents, you can grab one off someone's value menu, eat all of them, and then wipe the empty container all over you. And at least you got a meal out of it because nobody's coming near you for the rest of the night. You know, I'm not sure I'd want to smell like, I mean, I love That's the smell of French fries, but wow, I'm, I'm not really sure about that. Kind of remembers, reminds me a bit of the time uh, a couple of years ago where uh, uh, we got in the, uh, uh, was it the Burger King perfume or whatever it mm-hmm. was? It was supposed to uh, smell like, was it a Whopper, I think? Yeah. It didn't smell very much like a Whopper, if I remember right. It actually smelled pleasant. It just kind of had a little bit of background, like 
someone left the grill on was kind of the slight vibe I got from it. Otherwise, it was a normal perfume. Yeah, I don't know why people would want to smell like fast food, what the attraction might be. We had um, Kentucky Fried Chicken put out something a couple of years ago. It just, I I know it's a novelty, but eh, I think I'll pass on that. Yeah, me too. Well, I've uh, found this headline rather interesting because it was, well, local. Um, What's in a name? How Idiot Creek in the Tillamook Forest was named. Are you familiar with Idiot Creek? I am, and it's one I've wondered about. Yeah. Well, it stretches four miles long. It's a fast-moving but shallow creek. It runs through the Tillamook State Forest near Highway 6. You wouldn't be considered a fool if you didn't know the Idiot Creek uh, exists or the story. Well, the name of the creek has a history behind it, and it comes from a nearby logging camp named Ryan's Camp. But even that camp went um, went by a different name. Well, the trace... Uh, The history behind the name, it starts almost 90 years ago during one of Oregon's largest wildfires called the Tillamook Burn. I've heard a lot about that. I'm not 90, but I remember hearing about it. Around noon on the 14th of August in 1933, a massive fire broke out on private land in what is now the Tillamook State Forest. Well, over the next 18 years, three more fires would start, each occurring every six years. In the um, end, 355,000 acres of forest land burned. Well, it changed everything about the landscape, as you can imagine. Uh, The forest was uh, private land, and prior to 1941, Highway 6 hadn't been built at all. Well, there was really no way to get up there. In the years between the fires, logging camps were set up to salvage any burned trees that could be turned into profit. One of those camps was called Camp Ryan. It was formed in 1945. Well, Ryan's camp was a camp that was built on a not-named creek along the Devil's Lake Fork of the Wilson River. Well, Ryan's camp was commonly known by another name, Idiotville. Okay. Uh, Well, one of the um, historians said there's a couple of stories about how the name came to be. One of the stories that Decker has heard was uh, told to him by those fighting the fires burning in 1945. A group fighting the fires uh, stayed behind after being told to leave. Uh, They decided to stand there and fight the fire, and all the firefighters thought those were, well, idiots who were living in that place. And that became Idiotville, and that name just stuck long after the fire had been put out. The other story um, that's been heard and commonly referred to says that because the camp was so remote and hard to access, anyone who chose to work there was considered an idiot. Well, the creek adopted the name of the nearby camp, became Idiot Creek, and was officially listed with the U.S. Board of uh, Geographic Names in 1965. Well, Mr. Decker is the current vice president of the Oregon Geographic Naming Board, a state advisory board to the national board. He said in 2019, someone requested the name get changed to Kindness Creek because they found the name Idiot to be offensive. So in February of 2022, the request was ultimately denied because there was no merit to change it. So it remains Idiot Creek, and that's what's in the name. Love to read the uh, the summary of that and see if the judge said, uh, don't come back to me with any more of these idiotic requests or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, it's not a name that we're supposed to call anyone. I suppose calling a thing Idiot Creek is, is acceptable, but... Um, you need to limit it to a place yes, such as very this. Much so. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're just winding our way through some of the lighter side of the news. So we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Joining me in studio, James Blend, as we wind our way through some of the lighter 
side of the news. Also coming up in our second hour, this week's Christian Outlook, we're going to um, hear a conversation about skyrocketing energy costs and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, We'll also hear from a, a Ukrainian Christian about his hometown being destroyed and the bravery Ukrainian citizens are demonstrating by defending it. And we'll also hear from a couple of programmers from Know the Truth about making sense of how the gospel relates to the brutality of the war in Ukraine, and for that matter, wars that are occurring in other places, either fought with munitions or in other ways. So that's coming up in the second hour of today's program, The Christian Outlook. Well, taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news, a New York City man has uh, Uh, needed to be rescued twice on consecutive days while hiking in the same location in a northern Arizona mountain range. He's urging others to pay more attention to winter weather than he did. Warning, unless you are an experienced alpine mountaineer, which he should have figured out the first time he had to be rescued, do not attempt Humphreys Peak in the winter. There's so much snow that it's difficult to follow the trail and very easy to fall off of it. Moreover, the wind is absolutely brutal, he said in an online post. Well, the 28-year-old from Brooklyn, he first called 911 last Wednesday at about 7 p.m. to say that he got lost while he was hiking the uh, Humphreys Trail in San Francisco's peak, uh, peaks rather, overlooking Flagstaff. Well, the statement didn't identify uh, the man by name, but spoke to the Arizona Daily Sun, telling the newspaper in a story published on Tuesday that he was an experienced hiker but had underestimated the difficult conditions. Well, the trail runs through about 5.5 miles of steep, rocky terrain, which you do not want to be on in the snow and the ice, uh, between the Arizona Snow Bowl Ski Resort and Humphreys Peak, the state's highest point, with an elevation of about 12,633 feet. Well, during the first rescue, uh, they t- tracked um Vehicles from the ski resort that travel on the snow drove uh, Vasto off the mountain and he declined medical attention. But at 5 p.m. the next day, he called 911 to say he needed help after injuring himself in a fall near the ridge at the same place, Humphreys Trail. An Arizona Department of Public Safety rescue helicopter was sent to pick him up and another hiker who had stopped to help him. Well, Mr. Vasto was provided with uh, preventative search and rescue education about the conditions on the trail and the approaching winter storm and encouraged not to attempt the hike again. Ever. Ever. Not officially banned, but just don't do it. As somebody from New York, myself, Mm -hmm. I think I've used this term in numerous amount of times that I am an indoor pet. (laughs) You have. I am not alone amongst New Yorkers in this. (laughs) This is not just me. And the sad thing is I think some people think it isn't them, but it is. Stay inside. Enjoy the outside from safety. And stay off the mountains and don't make the the fine men and women work. Well, especially if you took the trail... You were lost one day, and then the following day you attempt the same thing with the same conditions, and this time have to be rescued with a helicopter. Just bad form. Bad form. Well, an insurance company is detailing the dirty deeds done by dogs. Yes, and the alliteration helps. Well, British home insurance company Aviva details some of the most unusual claims involving dogs, including a canine that flooded its owner's home by running the kitchen sink. This was a dog. 
Aviva said it typically receives about 800 accidental damage claims every year for incidents involving dogs. And the company said each claim was valued at an average of $1,400, or in their case, pounds. Well, the company detailed some of the most unusual claims involving the canine companions of homeowners, including a story of a Labrador and a Great Dane mixed named Whiskey, who turned on the water tap at his owner's kitchen, causing 5000 $233 worth of flooding damage to the house. Another customer informed the company that she was cleaning out a fish tank at her home when her dog became snagged in a charging cable and caused her laptop computer to fall into a bucket filled with water. Ooh. The company said other claims included a dog who spilled paint on their owner's stairs, a dog who spilled bleach on their owner's carpet, a dog who knocked a hot iron onto a carpet, and a dog who got excited to see another canine and knocked over their owner's television. Most home insurance policies have exclusions for damage called by, uh, caused rather by chewing, snatching, tearing, or fouling by domestic animals. So we'd urge customers to check their cover. Uh, but as our records show, there are plenty of dog-related incidents where home insurance, and particularly accident damage cover, can come to the rescue. So says one of the... Um, adjusters. This is, a, I think, a perfect reason why one should not have domestic canines in one's home. Enough said. I, you know, I, I, that, you make a strong case. I can't deny that. <laughs> oh, boy. How do you pick up the phone and call your insurance broker and tell them, uh, we have a claim? Uh, well, you know. A little I, embarrassing. I never had dog-related claims. So, for all the years my parents had dogs, we never had an Never had a uh, claim. Claims of strange things I did, but never strange things with what the dog did. <laughs> I can see you doing every one of those things I've just listed. Oh, uh, very, yeah, very plausible. The, uh, the Probably the most noted was the uh, hot pretzel incident of uh, 1992. The hot pretzel incident. Yeah, I may have put a pretzel in for a minute and a half and hit an extra zero. Oh, dear. And the house may have filled with smoke. Oh, dear. You weren't disowned. No. Well, no. And so what I did was I called the fire department and just said, you know, what's the best way to blow that out? Oh, we're not busy right now. We could bring down one of our fans. And in my <laughs> mental, in, my, in the back of my mind, I see a police chief in a station wagon pull up with a, a uh, um, you know, in a car with, with a fan. And all is hunky-dory. What happened instead <laughs> was two fire trucks with the sirens oh, blaring no. coming up the street, parking there. Every two to three minutes, a different fire person coming up to me and saying, now exactly how it happened here again? <laughs> because you know they just only wanted to hear the story firsthand. Well, you're probably in a book and somewhere. just as they're getting ready to pack everything up and go away... Yeah, that's when my parents pulled in the parking <laughs> in the driveway. Oh, dear. So that was to get the uh, smell of smoke out of the, the mid-level of my house. Uh, that, was a, that was a claim that uh, my parents' insurance company got. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers, in collaboration with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, recently seized six air cargo shipments of leeches. 
in Philadelphia. The shipments contain nine plastic jars of prohibited leeches. That's not a particular kind of leech. They were just prohibited with about 300 in total. Well, the bloodsuckers arrived in Bulgaria on the 19th of February and were set to be mailed to locations in Connecticut, Florida, and Illinois. The jars labeled the parasites um, as Harudo orientalis. However, the inspector uh, correctly identified them as, well, something else, which are used in medical bloodletting treatments. Now, they, they still do that, I guess. A course of leeches. There you go. The bloodsuckers were seized due to violating the Endangered Species Act. The Convention on International Trade and Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora also strictly regulates the international trade of specimens of wild animals and plants. Customs and Border Protection officers and agriculture specialists often encounter unique and interesting things. This jar full of icky bloodsuckers, or leeches, while inspecting goods being imported to the United States. Well, the officer remained committed to collaborating with federal, state, and local enforcement uh, partners to intercept shipments that violate our nation's laws and potentially threaten harm to our nation's citizens and our economy. So someone is on the watch, and they were able to... Um, collect and prevent the leeches from making it to their final destination. Otherwise, you know what would have been next? Leech vid 22. Ooh. That's, yeah, that's you, you don't good. want that. You don't want that. No. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, the Christian Outlook. A lot of good content. And we'll be focusing uh, on what's happening in Ukraine and how, from a Christian perspective, one might make sense of it all. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 